Welcome to the Principles of Success, interviewing the experts, and today's book review is on Invested by Danielle Town. So let's talk about the author real quick. Danielle Town is the daughter of a very successful, actually I don't know if he's a multimillionaire, but a very successful stock market investor who has written multiple books about how to invest in the stock market. The reason why I picked this book over his books is because this book is a step-by-step, pretty much autobiography of somebody going from not knowing anything to, by the end of the year, knowing exactly how to invest like a proper investor. Whereas most investing books are written by people who have been doing it for years and oftentimes skip over some pretty minor things that you probably should have been pointed out to. So like I said, this book is pretty much a autobiography. There's, um, in my opinion, a lot of filler in it where she talks about what's going on in her life at that period of time. But it's in most of it's in story format, which makes it another great way to, or another boon for learning, because we learn in story format a whole lot bit better than somebody sitting there and lecturing you about stocks. And while this is a book on the stock market, a lot of these principles apply to any form of investing, whether it's real estate, business, um, or whatever. So let's dive into it. First and foremost, why should you care about this book? Well, you don't have an option. Unless you want to be working at McDonald's when you're 95 years old, you need to learn how to properly invest whether it's in the stock market or whatever, you don't have a choice. You have to learn about money. And that's the first takeaway is a lot of people's first instinct is to just hoard the money. They don't want to invest. Investing is scary. You could lose your money from investing. But like we'll talk about in a um, much later principles episode, we'll talk about inflation and why just holding on to your money doesn't work. Every year, your money goes down in value. So you can't hoard it. So people's next great idea, and this is what, in actuality, most people have done, is abdicating. Giving their money to somebody else who knows more about money to deal with. Think 401ks. And we'll talk about 401ks and all that kind of fun stuff in another episode as well. But people want to abdicate their responsibility for learning finance. They're like... This guy, he knows all the financial techno babble. I'm going to give him my money so that way he can invest it and then I'll be okay. Here's the problem. You're not going to be okay. When you give your money to a broker or anyone like that, when you give your money to a 401k, you pay a fee. This isn't a performance fee. This is a service fee. You pay them the privilege of them messing with your money. And whether your money goes up in value or you lose everything, they still get paid. In fact, brokers do not make their money brokering. They make their money from selling you on the idea that they can broker and then they get paid from your money. In fact, most brokers do not beat the market. And there was actually an experiment done where people threw darts at a board And they did better than the average broker. A broker's job is not to invest your money. A broker's job is to convince you 
that they know enough about investing money that you will pay them to invest money. And those fees are usually high enough that even if it was a great job, you're still going to run out of money at the end of life. So you can't abdicate. So you can't just hoard and avoid the problem, and you can't abdicate and give the problem to somebody else. That leaves one option. You have to actually learn about investing. And that's what a lot of the second half of the entire season is going to be about, is investing. This book in particular talks a lot about stock market investing. And if you're wanting to invest in the stock market, you should read this book. So that's all of the kind of general investing stuff. Let's dive a little more into the stock market. First up, let's talk about mutual funds. Mutual funds are a collection of stocks that a broker has been paid by businesses to collect. And then they sell it to other businesses in the form of 401ks for you as the investor to then purchase their fund. A mutual fund is a ripoff. You should never be invested in a mutual fund. It is a collection of a bunch of people through many different layers who have all gotten together to siphon as much money from you as possible. And then the guy who sells you this mutual fund, you pay the privilege of him servicing you with this mutual fund, which we just talked about. And 99% of America have 401ks, and that's a mutual fund. Uh, for my English listeners, uh, your equivalent is a BBB. Um, so I don't, honestly, I don't know if the BBB is invested in mutual funds or not, but America, your 401ks are almost all invested in mutual funds because that's where they make their money. It's not where you make your money. It's where they make their money. And then they sell you the idea that you're going to make money. Now, the selling proposition that they give you is that we're going to match it, which doesn't make up for the fees, and it's going to be actively managed, which means some moron sales manager is going to buy and sell different stocks for the fund that you then get the privilege of investing in. So, look into your investments that you have in the stock market right now, and if it's a mutual fund, you need to switch it. And if you're not going to learn investing in the stock market, but you still want to do stock market stuff like a 401k or a BBB or a Roth IRA, if you're still wanting to do that stuff, this is what you need to switch it to is this next part. You need to switch it to a index fund. So what an index fund is, is essentially the market. Instead of investing in like Amazon or Apple or Microsoft or Tesla, you are investing in the entire stock market. And the pros of this is that you will almost always match the market or at least be close to, you'll be somewhere close to the market. Sometimes you'll do a little better, sometimes you'll do a little worse, but you'll be about the market. And the pro is that the market usually goes up. Over a extended period of time, the market goes up. So as long as you believe that the world isn't going to totally fall apart completely and utterly, then you should be safe. The con is that this is over an extended period of time. If you're 60 and we're in the middle of a pretty bad recession, well, then you're going to have to wait a while for it to rebuild. 
And the sooner you get started, the better it'll be. So my under 30 listeners, you need to do everything you possibly can to invest as much as you can, whether it's in the stock market, like this book suggests, or in the other types of investments. But you need to build up as much money as you can, which is why here in a um, in a couple of months, I think, is when we'll be covering savings episodes, because you need to build up your capital. You need money. And if you're under 30, when you invest that money, it'll become so much more worth more. If you're under 40, still a lot of it going. Now, if you're over 40, you're not going to see anywhere near the same amount of results. But you can still see some results, and you can still set yourself up for success for when you're 60. And the great tragedy of life is that the younger you are, the more frivolous with your money you tend to be. And then there's the whole kind of, I don't know, kids factor that drain your bank account pretty heavily. It's only when you're old that you have lots of excess capital, but you're old, you're done. So you have to try and figure out how to do it now as fast as possible so that way you can maximize the results. And you also have to remember that it takes time. So back to index funds, that was a little tangent. Index funds isn't the advice of this author. It isn't the advice of me. This is the advice of Warren Buffett and pretty much every, uh, pretty much all the successful investors. If you're not going to learn the, if you're not going to take the time to properly learn how to invest in the stock market, then you should invest in an index fund. A index fund won't do anywhere near as well as somebody who is properly investing. But if you're not going to take the time to learn it, then that's what you should do. So now let's shift to the actual learning about investing in the stock market. And it is what's called a value investor. This whole book is based off of pretty much Warren Buffett's and Charlie Munger's, who's Warren Buffett's partner, investing philosophies. So it's not me that's talking about it. It's not the author that's talking about these principles. It, it Well, the author is talking. I'm talking. You, you know what I'm saying. Um, it is Warren Buffett's principles, who is the guy that became one of the richest men in the world solely off of investing in the stock market. So maybe you should listen. And this is value investing. You look at a company, you figure out what its actual value should be, and then you wait until the company is properly priced for the value that it is producing to buy, and then you hold on to it and never sell it. And that's pretty much the rest of the book in a super tight nutshell, but we're gonna dive a little bit more. So first off, you need to, it is better to buy a great company at a good price than a good company at a great price. So to put it into more easy to understand, let's say you can buy Amazon at 10% off, or you can buy, um, Kmart. I believe Kmart's completely out of business now, but or you can buy Kmart at 80% off. Which company is it a better bet to have ownership of in the long term? And that goes into the next one. And it is when you buy a stock, remember that you are buying ownership of the company. And you need to, one, picture it as if you were buying the whole company. When you figure out your price stuff, calculate it as if you were buying the whole company and then divide it into the stocks. Um, but you need to 
be buying companies that you would like to own. This is also why you want to buy companies that you know and use. Like, go to your grocery store. Look at the names on the things that you buy. Uh, look at the brand names on the things that you buy. Those are companies that you have decided are good companies. So you should look into them. This is what you... This, this is the first step of looking into a company is figuring out um, what companies you would have an interest in owning because you, from personal experience, you know that their products sell because you buy them and then you get further and further along as we go. So you pick companies that you believe are good companies. Then you can also look at what gurus and other successful investors are investing in them and look at those companies. This is kind of to pick what companies you should take a closer look at. Next is evaluating their moats. And what a moat is, is the impenetrability of competition to take them down. And there's six moats. One is brand. Two is switching. Three, network slash toll bridge. Um, and that's the next one is toll bridge. Then it's secrets and price. So, brand, think like Charmin, um, Kleenex, Netflix, big name brand stuff that everyone has heard of, big brand. Switching, a great example of switching is, of a switching mode is like Apple products. Apple products purposely made it so that way it's everything Apple is integrated, but they can't integrate with anything else. So you probably, if you have a Apple phone, you probably have an Apple computer, a, uh, you probably have iTunes. So it's a whole lot harder for you to switch from Apple to a totally different type of interface and relearning all of that and then having none of your things be able to work with your old Apple things. So that's the switching mode. Another example of this is network. Facebook um, has a switching mode because everybody's on Facebook. Toll bridge. Toll bridge is the moat of it being super expensive to start up. So, for example, there's not going to be new railroad companies that come up because it'll cost billions of dollars to build new railroads to compete with the existing ones. The secrets moat is pretty self-explanatory. It's that they have a secret that nobody else can copy. And then the price moat is usually the cheapest one. For instance, Walmart. Walmart sells dirt cheap because they have a massive network to get things dirt cheap. So that's the first thing you need to look at is the moat. Next, you need to look at management. Who is the CEO? Is he a good person? Is he managing the company in a good way? Is he there for a short term for short term benefits or is he there to promote the company in a long term deal? It is better to have a trustworthy idiot than a self-serving, crooked, clever man. Now, it's better to have a clever, trustworthy guy. And when you find those, you probably want to keep track of those CEOs because they might move around sometimes. Uh, they might, you might ha find a great CEO who works at a bad company that, does, that the company's numbers don't match up with their stocks are. So you don't invest in the company at, the, at that time. But maybe five years down the road, the CEO moves to a great company, and then you invest in that company. This is all preliminary stuff. Once you have um, picked out a bunch of companies that you use, or like, or know of, you then look at the company, 
and narrow the pile down and narrow the pile down and narrow the pile down from everything we just talked about. Um, and then you have a much smaller pile. And now you get to look at the financial statements. You can't invest unless you know the actual numbers of the company. Anything that doesn't involve knowing actual numbers of a company is speculating. If you don't know the company's revenue, the their debt, their, um, I don't know. <laughs> if you don't know their revenue, how do you know how much value they're producing to the marketplace? And how do you know how much their stock should be valued at? So now you gotta look at the financial statements and you really should read the book because they break down much more in depth on the financial statements than a quick um, impromptu podcast episode can do. So now you've gone through probably hundreds of companies at this point to narrow it down to just a couple. You only need a handful of great companies to make lots of profit off of, but you need to go through tons of companies and several financial statements to find a company that looks good. So first, you need to actually understand the company. If you don't understand the field that you're trying to invest in, then you're in trouble. A person who is technology illiterate shouldn't be investing in a stock or be investing in a company that is a technology company. So understand the companies. Then you need to look at their moats. Then you need to look at their management. Then you need to look at their financial statements to figure out what the actual price should be. And we'll talk about that here in a second. The episode's going long, so I'm trying to go quickly. Um, once you look at their financial statements and figure out what the price is that the company should be at for you to purchase, you then wait. And this could be years. You could wait for years for the company's numbers to make sense. Now, odds are it probably won't be years, but that's the mentality that you need to have is that it could take years for you to invest in it. And you'll want a margin of safety number as well. So you'll want the number to be lower than what you actually want to purchase it at. So you want a good deal, not just what the value of the company is, if that makes sense. So let's talk about looking at the actual financial statements to get the um, proper number that the evaluation, what you think the stock is actually worth. So first up, owner earnings. Then there's free cash flow and three company earnings. So how much would you pay to own the whole company? So first one is owner earnings or cap rate, ROI on the purchase price. Basically to put it into, um, in fact, I think we're, I'm, this is the only one I'm going to go in depth on because the episode's long and I'm actually running out of time for recording time. Um, the cap rate is how, if you own the whole company, and I'm going to use real estate as an example, cause that's easier. Uh, if you own the whole company, how much is the investment cost to what it produces? So how much is, let's say the mortgage is a hundred thousand dollars. What's the rent? That's the cap rate. Uh, so if it's a $100,000, what percentage per year are you going to earn on that $100,000 for the mortgage? So if you have $10,000 of rent each year, that would be a 10% cap rate. And you want investments of around 10% because that's a good return on investment, ROI of your money. You want it to go up. You want it to pay you back about 10% per year. So you look at the 
price of the company, the whole company of its st- and its stocks, and then you look at how much the company is producing per year and look at if the price of the company matches what it's producing. If it's too high, then you wait, but you figure out what the number is. So that's the cap rate or earning owner earnings, what you would o- earn per year as the owner of the whole company. Next is free cash flow, how much revenue kind of stuff is going, and then the company earnings. So just for a couple last points to add to it is you'll want checklists. Make a checklist of things to do to look into the company. Like for instance, looking at the management, looking at the moats, that kind of checklist. And then you'll want checklists of things to avoid of a company. Like for instance, one of the things that the author or the dad of the author has on his checklist is he doesn't invest in a company that has debt that they could not pay off in two years of their revenue. So if their debt is super high, he doesn't invest in them. And timing your purchase of a great company doesn't matter as much as the purchase itself. So if you try and wait a little longer for it to drop a little lower, one, it doesn't matter. And two, that greed might take it into effect and then it might shoot back up and you'll miss your shot. So once it falls into the acceptable range of what you have calculated by looking at the financial statements of what a fair price is, once it falls into that range with a healthy safety factor built in, you buy. There's no emotion in it. You buy. It's in that number range, so you buy it. And then you never sell it. You hold on to it till the day you die. Now, obviously, you're going to sell it at some point, but that needs to be your attitude. There's Day trading is stupid. You don't day trade. You buy and you hold, and you buy good companies, and you hold on to them, and then they become worth more. And then there's little tricks you can do, like um, collateral loans and stuff like that, but they don't cover in this book, and we're going to talk about that much more in depth in a different episode. So, with that, hopefully I did not rush this episode too much, but I'm trying to condense a pretty decent amount of material into a very tight time frame. So we'll also be talking more about the stock market and investing um, in the latter half of the year when we're talking about investments. So if you want to learn more about this book, I suggest you go read it. It's a great book for anybody to read, but especially if you want to invest in the stock market. And I suggest you check out my book, The Blueprint of Wealth. Link is below. And with that, I will see you all next week.